0: This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Hello and welcome to another World of UX podcast. This is your host, Darren Hood. Thanks everyone for taking the time to join us today. Welcome those of you that are listening for the first time. We always have a special welcome for you folks we are continuing the sinister series today moving into part 16 but we are in the home stretch we are on the verge of wrapping this series up although uh, we are going to take our time doing such and the last two or three segments are going to be spent focusing on single topics and Today, we're going to pick up where we left off. We've got our preliminary stuff. I'm going to touch on some things that we've actually talked about in previous episodes. want to elaborate a little bit more and share some things. There's some new data that's come in. Some I, I, I love the UX community and the way that people will provide information and insights, the way that people will reach out to me after the fact, sometimes knowingly, sometimes unknowingly, and they talk about things that we're covering, and I want to take that information and I want to share it with the UX community at large. So some of the, sometimes these going back and recapping or revisiting certain things, that's really how that ends up happening. So anyway, because we have so much to cover today and we're going to lightning round it again a little bit today because our list today is so long, I want to jump in right here and, and start to do this little recap or revisit a couple of things And one of them has to do with that UX education topic from last week. I had some really interesting experiences last week and some some really cool conversations. And there was someone who was trying to oversimplify UX education. And and (laughs) the person said, hey, um, you want to learn UX? It doesn't have to be as complicated as... As people make it out to be, you can learn everything. I can teach you everything you need to know about UX in just two days. (laughs) That was absolutely laughable to hear someone saying that. I remember somebody saying, well, Darren, did you read the whole post? Well, when I get questions like that, it's funny. People ask questions sometimes not because they necessarily believe that you're guilty of what they're saying it's really whether people realize it or not it's really a reflection of the people they hang out with um you can't impute the personas of the people you hang out with upon other people when other people say or do something that you don't agree with it's it's interesting that people will do stuff like that it's it, can we take a little bit more time to get to know one another i mean there are innocent questions that can be asked but when you hear questions like that or statements like that, it, it's really, it's really weird. And so, and I was, hey, I'm, I'm going to be transparent about it. Did I read the whole post where somebody was talking about things like that? No, I didn't. You know why? Because I have more respect for myself than that. And so should you. If somebody starts off a statement and they are just utterly ridiculous and it's a long post, why are you going to read the whole post? You, if, if if it's already reeking, how how long do you have to see smoke to realize there's a fire? How, lo- how long do you have to smell something that stinks to know something is wrong? It, it, it's interesting. People really let you know about their ethical flaws sometimes by the questions that they ask. I wasn't going to read the whole thing because it was utterly ridiculous. And when I got four or five lines into what the p- person was saying and it's blatantly obvious that something is wrong, then you, you abandon it. You don't have to spend time on that. And if the person was trying to be funny, that's not funny. And that's not how you convey that. And the only people that are going to read it are the people who lack that self-respect. So I didn't read the whole thing. This person was making these boastful statements about how you could learn everything about UX in two days. And that's And those of us, several people who said that I've been doing UX for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, I'm still learning. What in the world do you mean by that? So it's really sad to see people oversimplified. And I can't remember for sure if it was this person or someone else. They said that UX education, I think it was that person. They said that UX education is hard to scale. UX education is not hard to scale. The, question, or the problem is, I should say, that a lot of people trying to, to engage in educating people about UX don't know anything about, as I said in a recent episode, they don't know anything about pedagogy. They don't know anything about building curriculums. They don't know anything about andragogy. So when people don't understand the science behind instructional design, they're going to have all types of weird conclusions that they arrive at, such as... UX education is hard to scale. It takes work to put together education. It takes work to do anything. And the problem is we have all these people out here that want to get somewhere without doing any work. Uh, And that's not a winning proposition at all. So we just need to know and understand that. So UX education is not difficult to scale. As I mentioned last week, the science of education is needed in order to design education, to design learning experiences properly. That's just all to it. And proper LX management, it accounts for pedagogy, andragogy, the proper curriculum, task analysis, needs analysis. There's a whole host of things that need to be done in order to properly structure education. And a lot of people are unaware of that. So remember, it's not hard. It's just a science. It's going to take some effort. It might take a lot of effort. It might take a little effort. Education is not going to take a little effort. I'm just talking about effort in general. Something might take a little, something might take a lot, but there's still effort the thing that a lot of people seem to be allergic to these days. And there's a lot of non-scientists that keep trying to to design education, providing their amateurish perspectives, which again, is never a winning proposition. So we need to get better at identifying when that's happening and then steer clear of it because it doesn't have a good value proposition for the partakers. The second topic I wanted to talk about or revisit, I should say, has to do with this thing about the war against seniors. And I've had some really shocking conversations in this past week and made some really shocking observations as well. Some things I was just reminded of, some things I saw, some things other people just brought up. Uh, I I have, I'm no longer doing the UX chit chat hour, but there are other people who do still have meetups and I was able to drop in because our office closed early. So I was able to drop in. And talk to some people. I love spending time talking to UXers. And not just UXers. It's really important for us to spend time talking to people who are very well grounded and are well purposed in the discipline. And so that encompasses people who have a lot of experience and people who have a little. As long as people who are like-minded, who want to see UX go in the right direction. When you spend time with people like that, it really helps you to be grounded it helps remind you that you're not the only one that's being subjected to certain things. In the discipline, it helps put wind in your sails. It's, it's, it's good for your emotional safety. It's good for our psychological health to spend time who are well-grounded. It, it's it's extremely critical to be able to do that. So I was glad to be able to spend that time with folks. That, that, that was truly a blessing for me. But I want to revisit the War Against Seniors component and it's funny and i've got some sub notes here i want to cover and there's some other things i'm going to mention about it and then we'll get into our topics for the day our official topics for the day do you know that a true senior will not and cannot fall short of their responsibilities it is in other words it is absolutely impossible for a person who knows the discipline to be incompetent. But in today's war against seniors, there are people out here. It's happened to me. I know several other people it's happened to. As well, well well-versed people who've been doing UX for some time, 10, 15, 20, 25 or more years, who will work for someone. And folks, when you try to do real UX, there's always somebody that will not understand what you're doing. And as a result, they won't value it. And, but here's the other part of it. A lot of people spend time trying to run these people out of their companies. What a waste of time. What a waste of resources. How, how insane and deluded that is, but people do it. And, and they try to make the true seniors look bad. They try to set us up for criticism and, that's not going to make your work better. That's not going to make you better. It's not going to help drive success for the business. It's a waste of time, a waste of energy. It's a waste of money, but people choose to do it anyway. It is something that ever since the siege against UX began, it is something that has become more and more commonplace over the years. And in 2024 now, it's ramping up even more. Everybody cries about the all the layoffs. That have happened in UX. But do you know part of that same mindset that actually helped drive the layoffs is actually the same mindset is connected to that same mindset that is intent on making seniors look bad and trying to displace us. If they could pull a Thanos, uh, the little Marvel reset here, if they could snap their finger and and we would all disappear, they would do it because they want to be the seniors even though they don't have the experience. They want to be the go-to person. There's, I, It was amazing to hear stories. And again, this has happened to me too, and other people were talking about the same. It's amazing to hear stories about people taking credit for other people's work. It's amazing, absolutely amazing, for to, to hear stories about folks who, who will try to make somebody look bad and accuse somebody of something that it's not even remotely possible that they would do, but they just don't care. They just don't care. And, and a lot of, in a lot of these situations, you'll see the, uh, some of the same things. The person in charge doesn't know anything about UX. The person in charge actually lacks scruples. The person in charge isn't good at conflict resolution. The person in charge is just really trying to protect their paycheck. And so in the process of that, They're not looking out for users. They're not looking out for the business. They're not looking out for anybody. They're not even looking out. People in leadership, it's their responsibility to make sure that equity is running through that department. Any department, any UX department or any other kind of department for that matter, but we're we're here to talk about UX, any UX department where things are not being done properly and equity and integrity and ethics are not leading the way. That's, to- that's the, the definition of toxicity. The, the less ethics there are, the more toxic it is. The more people can get away with character assassination, the more toxic it is. And the more toxic it's going to be. And, and, and I find it amazing that in, in my years of not only in UX, but just in the professional world. And I, I saw these types of things when I was in my 20s. I I actually saw these types of things and was subject to these types of things when I was in my twenties. But it was amazing that to see that it's much broader today than it was then as we have grown into the age of the participation trophy and the age of, uh, we just lost our soccer game 20 to nothing, but we're going to celebrate with pizza and ice cream. Anyway, this, this participation trophy mindset that's been interwoven into our society It's problematic, and so people who deserve, people who have earned things by merit don't get credit, people who are doing the right things get stomped on, people who try to hold people accountable are thought of as the bad guys. It's These things all hurt our discipline, but they apparently, they still, I, I have yet to see the momentum slow down, and if anything, unfortunately... Uh, I'm, I got to be the bearer of bad tidings on this. It's getting far, far, far worse. Uh, even to the degree, a little, a little add on here. I found out from someone in the last week, you think it's bad to go to a place and it's toxic and all these crazy things are happening. Found out that LinkedIn, when companies, when recruiters, well, I should say, let me back up, companies establish a presence on LinkedIn, LinkedIn offers them some type of special membership and included with that membership is the ability to blacklist members on LinkedIn that might apply for jobs with their company. Wow. Do you know that having a, a, um, a presence on LinkedIn could possibly destroy you professionally And some people might say, well, you know, Darren, if somebody is not a good employee or they have a bad track record, do you really think I would mention this if that was the case? People are blacklisting folks, whether it's using the LinkedIn system or not. They are assassinating characters. People are doing things to others in UX simply from the perspective of having a grudge against somebody, simply because they didn't like what somebody said. I told a story once about a company where there was a a UX professional who was trying to lead a design sprint, and someone attending that sprint, another person who was a manager in the UX department at that company uh, actually didn't like what the person was doing, so they commandeered the meeting. And when they commandeered the meeting, long story short, the person who was running the meeting was concerned, talked to the boss about it. The boss was there. The boss witnessed it. The boss confirmed that they heard it. The person who commandeered the meeting then later tried to flip the script and create problems for the manager that they had commandeered the meeting from. And when the that manager held that person accountable, they launched an, a, a full campaign against that person to destroy that person in the company. That makes no sense. And what makes it worse is the boss, who witnessed everything, confirmed that they were aware of what was going on, chose not to to let equity and and ethics rule out and allow the aggressive manager to subject the other manager to abuse. The boss did nothing about it. This is the kind of stuff going on in UX circles today. You can hide behind your Figma and all your other little whatever it is, methods, methodologies, and whatever. That's why I talk about everything. This is a problem in UX. The the occurrence of these types of things is increasing dramatically. And, And a lot of people, because all they want to do is get a job, they don't care. They don't care. You don't care because it's not you yet. It's a matter of time before it becomes you. Please know and understand, though, as long as a person is not a threat, it'll never happen to you, which is why some people choose to be cowards, because they know that by being a coward, they will never be a threat, and they can secure their income, at least so they think. The truth of the matter is that eventually somebody will come for you in one way or another. Everybody's going to experience this kind of crazy stuff once you stand up and start being a real UX professional, so these are some really sinister crazy things the gaslighting that's taking place the the leaders that that facilitate the the gaslighting they do nothing to stop it this, this is the kind of stuff that is wreaking havoc in the discipline today and and so it's folks it is what it is uh, somebody might say I'm doomsaying no I'm being realistic we and it's funny people think you're doomsaying until they experience it then they want to take up all your time talking about what's happening. No, listen now before you experience it. Know and understand that it's real. Now, if there's anybody that you know that's going through it, be there to lend a, a, a to lend an ear. Be there to support them. Be there to understand. Be there. You work in a discipline that revolves around empathy. And then when people are going through crazy stuff, you have all these people that soon. when it's time to empathize with your fellow UX professionals, they go the other way. This is not, right now, this is not a discipline of empathy. This is a discipline of hypocrisy. The hypocrisy is overrunning everything. And unless enough people stand up, it's going to keep going in that direction. So I highly recommend that people, hey, let's let's take a stand, okay? So, all right, (laughs) that's it for the revisiting of topics. Let's move on to... Number 53 on the list. I sort of alluded to this one already, but there are people that will present UX that's not UX as UX. And a couple of examples, one of them I already mentioned, I'll get to that one in a moment. But a lot of people know the history of design thinking, right? Which we'll go full circle and touch on that again later. Design Thinking was a bunch of people who took what was already known as UX, or what would become UX, essentially, if it wasn't already called UX. I don't remember the exact year that Design Thinking, as they as they branded it, came into the public view, but they took things that we now know as UX, rebranded them, presented them, put them in a new package, took stuff out of one package, put it into another package, put a different label on it, and then told unsuspecting people that it was uh, that that it was new and they bought into it. And, and so, and, and had folks thinking that this was some type of an advancement beyond UX. It, it was not matter of fact, it got worse because now they took things out of the hands of the experts, put it in the hands of non-experts, a bunch of people who were high off of, of Dunning Kruger and high off of Ikea effect bias and had them in the middle of things, remove users from the process and told people this is better. That, that, that was a losing proposition on paper. If you sketch that out, it's already losing. You throw it away. You don't do it. They did it. A bunch of people went for it. Uh, largely because a lot of people just got a chance to be uh, in the in the limelight. And so that's why it took off the way it did. Not because it achieved anything. But because people, IKEA effect bias. and Whatever people build, they put more confidence in. Uh, so not good so here you have IDEO, the people behind all of that and then they did admit that they did that too they did it for branding and billing purposes only it was never like supposed to be a serious thing so it was always a joke and the people who didn't know it was a joke now the joke's on them uh so but we'll go full circle as i stated and come back to that they used to talk about design thinking now they've come up with something else And they call it a user-centered design process. Ooh. User-centered design process. Are you kidding me? That makes no sense. It was supposed to already be user-centered. Design thinking was supposed to be user-centered. UX has always been user-centered. It's always been about the users. What do you mean user-centered design process? This is absolutely insane. They're doing it again, and people are already buying into it. It's it's amazing. It is our discipline is upside down. Our discipline is upside down. And, and people who don't care, many of the people who don't care, they don't care because they're profiting off of the upside down nature of our discipline. That, that's really sad, but that's what's going on today. So presenting UX that's not UX as UX is killing us, folks. It's killing us. It always ends up turning into a situation where value does not come from the work that gets done, which leads me to the second point under number 53 is that this situation is so bad that when you do real UX today, you can easily be met with resistance. Not that we've never been met with resistance before. UX on its best day can be met with resistance, but it's different now in that people reject real UX because they think that something else is UX. So when you actually do UX, because UX is not quote unquote sexy, people shoot it down. They're so so of the mindset that... UX is aesthetically beautiful and they don't realize that we have very little to do with the beauty part of the experience that we, we, we we have to do with the skeletons. We have to do with the bones, with the sinews, with the, with all these other things that are under the skin. That's what UX people work on, so to speak, from a design perspective. And so nobody wants to see a body with no skin walking around. It would it, people would consider it distasteful. They will consider it ghastly. Those are the types of things you see in a horror movie and, and so people when they see that it turns them off They'll tell you that they don't understand ux and then when you do the work Then they'll shoot it down because they can't relate to it That doesn't make what the person presented incorrect Especially when you have an ignorant judge so that's, re- that's really what it is. So this is, again, it, this, we're talking about the sinister nature of UX today. These are some of the issues, folks. And unfortunately, uh, this is something we have to know how to navigate in order to succeed today. Number 54, we have juniors today that are in denial about the expertise of seniors. There are a lot of juniors one minute they're crying about getting a the job. Then they get the job. Then there's a senior on the job, and then they're crying because of something that's going on that that senior won't let them do. These people from the beginning are, A, if it's if it's if the shoe fits, wear it." For these people it's all about getting a check. It's not about, "Oh, I love the discipline and I would love to do this. I would really love the opportunity to get a chance to do this work." They're after that big check they heard about associated with UX, quite frankly. Because if you are a junior, when I was more of a junior and I had an opportunity to spend time with and work with and be exposed to seniors, it was a phenomenal opportunity to learn something, to help vault myself forward. That's not what a lot of juniors are doing today. They will see a lot of juniors, not everybody. I know some great juniors. I know a lot of great juniors. There's a lot of great juniors that listen to this podcast but if you are guilty of what I'm talking about, you're not one of them. You will have juniors. They see a senior. They recognize the person is a seasoned practitioner of UX. They get upset. You have your inferiority complex that kicks in. They want to be where you are without the work. They want to have all of the acclaim and all of the, 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 the finities, the, all the different elements that go along with being that more seasoned person. They want all of those those things without merit. They want them without laboring. They want to be able to reap without sowing. And, and 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 sadly, they will be right whether they work with you or not. I've seen it. I've worked at places where the, you have a junior that's just in denial. They, they know who you are. They'll ask you ridiculous questions. They'll make ridiculous statements. They will talk to you. I have seen juniors that talk to seasoned people as if they are the senior and the and the seasoned person is the junior. I have seen juniors try to give advice, not because there was a situation where the junior was filling the, the seasoned person in on something, and there's times that's going to happen, but, but to take the whole thing and, and just run a complete gaslighting system through that relationship because they are in total denial. They want nothing to do. With that more seasoned UXer, and when that person is like that, that person is putting a limit on their growth, that attitude is going to stunt their growth, and everything is going to completely fall apart. It's a matter of time. Not to mention the fact that when you work with a person, a junior, a seasoned person works with a junior that's like that, that environment is going to be toxic because, the, because that junior does not want to engage In a proper manner. There is no mutual professional respect because while the senior is respecting the junior, the junior is not respecting the senior. They, they, they're too busy drowning in envy to be able to have a proper relationship. And you cannot have a proper relationship with anybody when there's envy involved. So just some ridiculous stuff. And folks, again, it is what it is. Number 55 in the list. There's a lot of, and I've already mentioned this to a degree, a lot of artificial leadership. And and this has really taken off. Uh even when I'm not looking for a job, I make it my business to always know know what's going on in the job market. I mentor people all over the world. I'm a professor. I'm always talking to people, but helping to grow them into discipline, and things of that nature. And so I have to be aware of these things. And one of the weirdest things that I have seen. I already knew that there was a lot of displacement when it comes to UX leadership. I already knew that. But I'm seeing something recently that I've never seen before. And if you go and look at UX manager jobs, just go to LinkedIn or Glassdoor or Indeed or wherever, look up UX management jobs and look at the requirements. The amount of experience that was required for a leader for a UX manager job has decreased all the way to about three to five years. I'm seeing as little as three years for a person to get a management job in UX leadership. That is insane. And the people who have 10, 15, 20, 25, don't even get considered for these same jobs. I know a person who was a director of UX at a very high-profile organization, who is having all kind of trouble trying to find another, another similar gig? You know why? The person's a proven commodity. The person has worked. You know, we got all these people out here. They worship FANG companies. FANG companies number one don't know how to do UX well. Hiring somebody used to work for a FANG company means nothing to your company. The use cases and the operations are completely different. That that does not give a person a pedigree. You don't get a pedigree because you worked for Google or Facebook or or Amazon or something like that. That doesn't mean that that person brings more to the table. And and but and then there's other organizations that actually do it way better. And then there's other organizations that are just big and they have very well run UX operations. There's a lot of people, not just the one person that I mentioned. I know a lot of people who have. Led UX operations in very large organizations. They bring a lot to the table. I got to catch up with with a UXer that I hadn't talked to in about I think before the pandemic, and and we just had a fantastic conversation. And they were sharing things that were happening in their travels recently, and, and just listening to how that person's mind work was just phenomenal. To hear the things they were doing, everything, all the the the, the that that that. Intellect that that person brings to the table to help drive somebody's UX operation—it was just—it was just a wonderful thing. I enjoy listening to that person talk. And today, that person is looking for a job because they just—they ended up walking away because their prior environment was just plain too toxic. It was too toxic to endure, so the person just opted out. Of that setting. These people are out here in abundance, (laughs) but companies choose rather to recruit people who are not very qualified. They recruit people that are less likely to rock the boat. They recruit people who are more likely to be order takers. And none of those things bode well for the discipline at large. So you would get this artificial leadership. You get art directors. When art directors move into UX leadership roles, the UX practice is doomed. I've never seen that work. (laughs) I have never seen that work at all. Uh, I know maybe of one situation where somebody was that, but it's because they just have more respect for the discipline. But that person is an outlier. Things are so bad. That's one out of 200, 300 that where an art director did succeed but yet it's happening everywhere former creative directors that doesn't work well why are not UX people moving into those leadership roles and and you just don't see it so UX its biggest problem actually today is having non UX people run UX teams is it possible for that to happen yes the best boss i had in my career was not a UX person but he respected UX he understood the purpose of UX and he knew to let me know what we need to accomplish. And he willingly got out of the way and let me deliver. And we had the best run division of UX in a company at the time with three, over 385,000 employees. That's what happens when you get a person that doesn't know UX but knows how to so emotionally intelligent that they know how to get things done the right way, then things can be done the right way. But when you let one of these people who is still connected to the way things used to be uh, from a standpoint of working on the side where ego was the, was the main catalyst. And that's what happens in the creative circles. That's what happens with creative directors. That's what happens with art directors. That's an ego driven operation. UX has to be ego void. In order to be successful. So it's already a losing proposition when folks do that. So there are so many, so many artificial leaders today that until we see that flip, we continue in a downward spiral. So just wild stuff, but let's move on. Shall we? Number 56, repackaging of existing methods, techniques, and solutions is off the charts. I already mentioned Earlier, the, the thing that Idio is doing, how they what they did with design thinking, and now they're doing it with the user-centered design process as if they're shedding light on something. And people are going to fall for it because they hear Idio and then they lose their mind. <laughs> they, they hear Idio and critical thinking goes out the window. They hear Meta and critical thinking goes out the window. They hear Google, critical thinking goes out the window. And, and, and just like empathy is at the core, at the center of successful UX, so also is critical thinking. So, And if you're engaging in a lack of critical thinking or have a lack of critical thinking anywhere, it's going to show itself in other parts of a person's operation. So anytime that people repackage things, the way that they repackage information architecture and and similar components and start calling it object-oriented UX, that's a repackaging. That didn't need to be done. It's amazing how people, if you want to excel, embrace the fundamentals. Embrace the fundamentals. It's amazing how people ignore the fundamentals, want to come up with something new, and get everybody to chase after that, to the extent that when you talk to some people about UX fundamentals, they get ornery, they get cantankerous, I have seen it, that stuff is difficult, no, it's not, it was difficult just trying to do UX, it's like trying to drive a car with no wheels, (laughs) no tires rather, the car to have wheels, no tires, yeah, good luck with that cross-country trip. With your car with no tires, it's that's what people are trying to do. They're trying to get somewhere without fundamentals, and and that you can't do that. And, and this is people who just don't want to learn. They don't want to be genuine. They don't want to be authentic. They don't like the the labor proposal that goes along with achieving that level of authenticity. They just don't want to do it. And that's that's wild. That's wild. So. Uh, anyway this there's a lot of repackaging of existing methods techniques and solutions and when it happens people should reject it they they don't and in many cases they won't but until we see that change that sinister uh, element is going to remain a factor and continue taking us in the wrong direction number 57. And this is akin to the artificial leadership, but premature promotions abound. There was a, a question that popped up on LinkedIn where, you know, answer these questions and help people grow in the discipline. Okay. Uh, even though it's sort of goofy and I'm not really a big fan of it, but people are going to put something out there and I'm not going to sit by and watch people be inundated with misinformation. So I'm willing to contribute when and where I can and when I have time. To do so, and and there was a question that came up about, what can I do to get ahead in, in UX? What can I do to get a leadership position? And it's funny, the people who want to know the answers to that stuff the most are the people who just started in this journey. They're already trying to figure out how to become leaders. I saw a person once say, I want to be the head of UX one day. This person had eight years of experience. They were currently in a senior manager role, and they spewed misinformation Uh, Just as easily as we breathe air if you're a spewer of misinformation, you're not a you're not qualified to be a leader It's it's that simple um And and not that the person can never become that Because any tree can be purged So just go and people need to understand that i'm not casting anybody down i'm not restricting anybody But I am showing you how to get there and to do it the right way and so you know, this person wants to get a promotion to be in the head of UX. Why? So you can get under a tree with your I'm the head of UX t-shirt on? It's the person that had no dedication to the discipline. And we've got people with no dedication to the discipline getting those aforementioned leadership roles. We have people that are being promoted to senior too fast. Next, people will be promoted to lead too fast. People will be promoted to principal too fast. The whole growth pipeline for UX has pretty much been destroyed. And the funny thing is, is that back in, say, prior to 2011, 2012, a person could not get a senior role. I worked in a department full of people that had been doing UX for years, and none of us had a senior title, not one of us. Matter of fact, I worked at three different digital design agencies over the course of my career, and I only saw one person, <laughs> only one, who was promoted to a VP. I only saw one person that was promoted to one of those higher tier roles, and every person that I worked with in UX over my career was very well versed in the discipline, and none of us were seniors. I matter of fact, I didn't see those people become seniors until after that, some years after that, so it was really interesting to see that type of thing. How that the the role to leadership in in UX was always slow. Now, while we're inundated, we're overrun, we're we we, we have too many people trying to operate in UX, and then you see all of these people with scant experience getting promotions that we couldn't get for ten years, and now we've got well more. And, and if you try to get into a senior role, in many cases, people will say, well, you're overqualified, so they'll ignore you. If you try to get a, a lead or a principal role, um, depending upon who's in charge and where their head is and how emotionally stable they are, frankly, uh, they may or may not reject you. So it, it's just really interesting that titles, when you look and see profiles on LinkedIn, you see all these different titles, folks. Titles don't mean anything anymore. They don't mean it anymore. It, it's been destroyed. You may as well give people a senior title when they when they get their first UX job. It's, I mean, it, I wouldn't be surprised if they start doing that because it's it's crazy. It's insane the things that they do. I saw somebody who had zero experience in UX get a get a lead role. And they had no experience whatsoever. I saw a person who never done UX work a day in their life get hired at a big company, and got a staff title. It doesn't mean anything anymore. It should. Yes, it should, but it doesn't because people have destroyed it, essentially. And so this is something else that everything I'm mentioning and all these, everything on this list, where are we up to now again? We are on number 57. These things can all be fixed. They can all be fixed. Are people going to fix it? Uh i haven't said this yet it can be i I, i'm saying this for the first time i don't think it's gonna happen folks i don't think it's gonna happen we will fight the good fight of faith until we retire i refuse to kowtow i refuse to wave the white flag but i do think i mean i will never stop fighting but um i think that it's it's gone on too long and and, and it's going too much in the wrong direction. And you, you've got people who do have big voices. The people with the biggest voices in UX are not saying what I'm saying. So as a result... Nobody's gonna do, nobody's gonna listen. Because even the 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 newcomer to UX will listen to the big voices, the people that have been around, the, the junior UXers will listen, the mid-level UXers will listen, the people that have been around for 20, 25 years will listen when certain big voices say certain things, but they don't. I actually had a conversation with one of those big voices once, and I was talking about the things that we experience as seniors, and the person said, well, I I don't see it. And so because they don't see it, then it doesn't exist. So that person will not say anything. We've got way too much data that says it does exist. But that person was just in denial. They're not going to go around and talk about it because if they talk about it, then people will be less likely to give them $50,000 to come in and talk to their company about UX. So they're losing money. So they would rather sell out and pretend like this is not a problem so that they can keep getting richer it this, this is this is the problem today so uh and 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 then the whole premature thing it just continues so and that that's the track that we're on folks and i'm just starting to really just say you know what okay this is it and, and w- which means that there's a lot of decisions that have to be made because of that you have to be more careful about the job offers you accept because now, because it is so common for non-UX to be presented as UX, if you're the real deal, you're going to run into more problems at your place of employment because of that, because you're not, because you're not a poser a retrofit or an upstart. So just interesting stuff. But And again, we keep fighting, but I, I think I'll be fighting until I retire. I, I don't expect to see a change. But that doesn't mean I, I I just refuse to again to count out. So let's move on. Number fifty-eight in the list. We have cognitive countermeasures are being used to maintain jaded states. That that sounds fancy, doesn't it? What's going on is that there are people that have things mechanisms. Uh they have They do it through meetups, they do it through videos, they do it through social media. There are different things that are being done in and around the UX community at large that the result of these activities and the the propaganda that's being spread, it actually helps to cement, to crystallize the stuff that I was just talking about. So it's there's a lot of this going on. Whether it's the big voices that I was talking about, they're doing part of it. I mean, take, for example, something as simple as the the problem with the whole UX UI thing and how more and more people are still embracing and talking about UX UI as if it's a thing. It's not. But when you have a presentation by Adobe and Adobe talks about UX UI, Now, people are going to then assume that, oh, well, you know, Adobe said it, so it's got to be right. There's a commercial uh, an ad campaign right now. I think the company is Fiverr, and Fiverr talked about people that are doing some design work, and they say, you know, go out there and get your developer. Go out there and get your UX writer. That's the first time I have ever heard UX writer mention in media like that, in, in, in that type of media where millions, I think that came on during a football game, millions of people are watching this game and millions of people just heard the concept of UX writer. Millions of people who did not know anything about UX, are they going to question the authenticity of that position? No. And, and then you've got people that just because they do a search on something and it shows up. They think that that's legit, too. They believe in Dr. Google. They'll listen to Dr. Google over Dr. Jones any day. So there's a lot of things that are happening. When I say cognitive countermeasures, you've got whether it's advertisements, whether it's it's different types of blog posts, whether it's something that's just presented through the means of a product, things of that nature, all of these things are happening, and and people just, and it was the old mindset. If you keep telling a lie long enough, people will believe that it's true. That's a cognitive countermeasure, and that's part of what's happening today. People are redefining. I talked about this in a very early episode in the podcast that I heard a presentation years ago by a person who used to work for the CIA, and the person said that when people redefine things, that that is a that is a means of mind control so when people take i mean we i mean we're in ux so nomenclature means something how things are labeled means something it sets expectations it sets information sets things of that nature when people get out there and they change something that actually used to mean one thing and present it as if it means something else that is a cognitive countermeasure it is a means of manipulation that's a, another, it's a, 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 really synonymous with cognitive countermeasure. These things are happening so that the jaded states that UX is operating in remains the status quo. And I'm not the only one out here fighting these things, but there's very few of us that are actually doing it. We are in the gross minority today. And so because of that thing, jaded states remain. It's just, it is is what it is. Moving on too many people in the midst of all these things that we're talking about way too many people are happy they're satisfied with ux theater they'd rather see people put on a dog and a pony show instead of doing actual ux work and they're being rewarded for ux theater and putting on a dog and pony show instead of doing actual ux work and it's really sad there are people that try to engage ux practitioners they want us to engage in politics now, when our discipline, if anything, we help manage politics, but we didn't participate in corporate politics as practitioners. So, and, and truth be told, the leaders have to engage. They don't have to play the game in kind, but they have to engage. But that's for the people, the managers and the directors, those people, because it, it, it's just a reality of of being in the workplace. There's going to be some politics, but the, the practitioner does not. And politics should not influence your recommendations, your findings, and things of that nature. If it is, then your UX work is dysfunctional, and you're not really doing doing the job. You're not really advocating for users, and you're not really trying to find the sweet spot between the business needs, the user needs, and the constraints. You're, You're playing politics. Politics blows all of that up. So these people with this UX theater, as long as they get paid, they don't care. As long as they can say that they're doing UX, they don't care. As long as they can keep getting promoted, they don't care. And God help the people who get promoted and know that they don't deserve it. They'll never rock the boat because they don't want to lose what they just got. So they're bribed. They're in position through bribery. It's amazing what's going on in UX circles today. But because so many people are satisfied with UX theater, that puts, puts us in a bad and a compromising position. But, you know, it is what it is. I'm just trying to point it out. Number 60 And then we're going to go full circle after that With the last one for this episode People insist on and sanction being order takers We are not order takers UX professionals are not order takers Nobody comes to us and say Hey, we want you to do A, B, and C And we go, okay, I'm going to do A, B, and C We have to find out why are we doing A, B, and C Are A, B, and C the right things to do? Maybe we need to do A, E, and and F, and maybe we go out and we do some research that confirms we need to do A, E, and F. We are not order takers. We don't do things because somebody tells us. Product design folks do because the average product designer is an order taker. (laughs) They're not doing UX work. They're not expected to do UX work. They're expected to take orders and make them look pretty. Matter of fact, a lot of UX jobs today, similar to what I said about leadership roles, a lot uh, have where they have the amount of experience being extremely low. That makes no sense for a manager. A lot of the UX roles go out there and look at those too. And you'll see visual design is starting to be mentioned more and more and more. Folks have been trying to destroy the discipline and they're making progress, folks. They want us to be order takers. They don't want us. To, why do you think so many researchers are being cast aside? Cause they don't care about the data. They're eventually going to try to turn UX into a straight up marketing role. And then it's just going to be UX in name and not by function. That's the direction we're headed. I've been calling calling this out for years, over a decade. And people kept telling me to shut up. I wasn't being realistic. And now here we are. Everything that I said is happening. And, and we have problems. If you're planning on working in this field for another five, 10, 15 years, uh, then uh, these things you have to you have to note that these things need to be changed. These things need to become a thing of the past. We need to look back and say, "Remember when we overcame that?" Those are the types of conversations that need to start happening. But the reality is, folks, uh, it's not. It simply isn't the case. But you Xers want to be order takers. Some of them think that that's just an easier way to go. It's easy, but it will blow up later, and then you'll find yourself crying about being laid off. So this is where we are. This is where we are today, and and we need to understand that these things, again, need to be overcome. Let's get to the last one for today. It's going to be repetitious, but that's okay. Number 61, and the last one for this particular episode, before we start getting into our solo sessions is that design thinking is being welcomed. And please know and understand, I've said this before and I say it again, 10 people can talk about design thinking and they're talking about 10 different things, all 10 of them. Design thinking, the way that it's presented, thinking about IDEO, was nothing but rehashed and rebranded UX. All the methods, methodologies, but they eliminated the user from the process. They brought... Subject matter experts gave them a higher seat at the table, but they were already part of it. <laughs> subject matter experts, we couldn't do what we did without without a subject matter expert. They just shifted them to a different seat at the table, threw the users out completely, tried to move so fast that there's certain things that you would normally do from a UX perspective that you can't do. You're already starting to see where this is going. And then eventually you're going to deploy something whether it works or not because testing it to make sure it didn't work, oh, you know what? That's not part of the gig anyway. So what people proposed from a design thinking standpoint was always a losing proposition. Now here's the funny flip side of that. When you know and understand, I've worked in design thinking environments and I've I've done well in them and I didn't do design thinking, not as they thought. I still did UX because I know that Design thinking essentially is UX, but it's stripped down UX. I call it UX light. That's what I call design thinking. Call it UX light because you're trying to do the same things, but a different way and in a way that really doesn't get the job done. And if people were embracing critical thinking as they should, then they're not going to try to go that way. There are certain elements of it you could use. You could do something called design thinking and make sure that the solid UX components that got cast aside are not. You can do design thinking, but make it a point to go and and engage with real users. You can you can do what is being called on the surface design thinking, but make sure that that user centered design is really being done. You can actually you can actually do that. But for the most part, what we see happening from a perspective of design thinking, folks, that's that stuff doesn't work is not going to help, and is being welcomed. And as long as practitioners welcome things that are harmful, that are counterproductive, then nobody wins. And people think they win because they got a paycheck. I think if you have a choice, you like to ensure that, cha- that paycheck for a longer period of time. Um, and so if you want to ensure that paycheck for a longer period of time, that means that you can't uh, play witch doctor when the organization needs someone who's a true MD, if you will, uh, from that, using that metaphor. So the witch doctor only has so long of a shelf life. The, the amateur auto mechanic only has so long of a shelf life from a design perspective. The, the politician only has so long of a shelf life. And eventually you will be voted out when, when those other, those leaders do start operating in critical thinking, your end will come. So folks, 61 so far, 61 different sinister traits that are at work today in UX and things that if we want to write the ship, we need to overcome these things. That is all the time that we have for today. Folks, again, we'll get into our solo sessions following this, and we'll bring this topic to a close. I hope folks are taking these things to heart. I hope you understand that. I think I talked about a person, where are you getting this data from? (laughs) You know, uh, is that the people who just don't, you just don't want to believe it. And then you'll be like other people. I didn't, I didn't believe you. and I figured out you were telling the truth. Uh, wouldn't it be nice if you figured out I was telling the truth when you first heard it? Uh, I wish people had believed I was telling the truth when I said UX was under siege in 2011 and 2012. And in 2014, when I said that the rise of the poser was the number thing, number one thing that we learned in 2013 and then the whole place erupted in laughter at a, a, a restaurant in a local Detroit, some 150, 200 people or so down there, and they just laughed. Well, nobody did anything about it. And, and look at where we are now. So it's, it's real, folks. It's real. And if we engage the right way, if we do the right things, If we take the right steps, we can restore this discipline. Until next time, this is Darren Hood, the host of The World of UX, wishing everyone all the best. And until then, folks, happy UXing, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.